What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Renegade Marquee on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host for this evening. Joining me, as always, is the streaming demon himself, Jacob. What's up, y'all? And we've got Hayden once again. Hello. And today is our official review for Black Widow, the 24th entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, if we're not counting the uh, Disney Plus shows, if we're strictly focusing on the movies. Yeah, it's finally here. Yeah, after, after A, well over a decade of audiences demanding a solo Black Widow movie and Ike Perlmutter being Ike Perlmutter being like nah nah for all for all the reasons that he is um a blight on the history of Marvel Entertainment um but more on that later for now this movie set between the events of Captain America Civil War and Avengers Infinity War is directed by Kate Shortland and written by Eric Pearson with a story credit by Jack Schaefer and Ned Benson. And the film follows Natasha Romanoff, also known as the Black Widow, as she confronts the darker parts of her ledger with a dangerous conspiracy with ties to her past arises. Pursued by a force that will stop at nothing to bring her down, Natasha must deal with her history as a spy and the broken relationships left in her wake long before she became an Avenger. So before we get into our general thoughts, Hayden, I believe you have a story to share with the rest of the class. Yes. So my experience seeing Black Widow was one of the most insane theatrical experiences I've had in my life. And I'm not exaggerating. So I was set to see Black Widow in 3D and 4DX at one of my local theaters. So when I go to the theater and I'm walking in, I notice that they don't give us our 3D glasses, which I think is a little weird. The movie's about to start in like maybe 10 minutes. And so I think this is a little odd. And I go up to a staff member at the theater and his response is oh it's not in 3d (laughs) and so i'm like i'm like okay the website literally said it was but maybe it was a typo or something i guess i don't know sure then the trailers start and they're looking extremely jittery and i'm i'm just like okay this is off something is off here the movie starts and it turns out that yes the movie was in fact in 3D. Oh and no. I was feeling like at this point, like that staff member was like gaslighting me. So <laughs> the screen was like blurry and we couldn't like really see what was going on. And let me just say the sight of dozens of angry Marvel fans exiting the theater en masse to complain. Oh my God. Never mm. seen anything like this. Mm. So, so, like, all of us, like, we're just heading out, like, saying, like, um, what's going on? Um, so then we get our glasses. The 3D still does not work. And, like, I'm assuming it was something, like, the left and right, um, were switched, or there was some, like, 
disalignment with the two, and again, people all leave to complain. And so at this point, we're like maybe like 10 minutes into the film, and everybody's missing a bunch of stuff because, you know, the screen is blurry and people keep leaving. And we're, we're kind of like hoping that they can maybe restart the film. So the film stops for a while. And then like the 3D was fixed when the movie starts up again and the film continued. By that point, it was like really clear that they weren't going to restart it. And the no. reason for that, the reason for that we learned was the 4DX was preset. Um, so like all the moving seats and stuff, like it's preset, so they can't really do that because they didn't have a technician on staff that night. Oh no. Hmm. So we asked uh, for a refund um, and they were like really understanding. I was trying not to be all caring on them. And uh, we bought tickets at another uh, cinema because there was no way that I was going to have my first experience back in a Marvel movie for the first time in like about, it's been like two years um, since Far From Home. So yeah. Wow, that was that was quite the experience. Love story time with Hayden. So I, I guess I'll just throw it back over to you then. Your um, your general thoughts now that you actually successfully completed uh, seeing the movie. So I actually did really enjoy the movie. Um, it was I. I'm not gonna lie when I was getting into it, I was a little worried that it would be a little bit more dry than like past Marvel movies. And I was a little like, I don't know how I'll like specifically feel about this movie, but I was like engaged throughout and never like felt um, bored. So I was deeply entertained and very pleasantly surprised. I liked it honestly a lot more than I even expected to. Nice. Jacob, what about you? I was one of those people who thought that a Black Widow movie was a little too late, that it should have been done before Endgame after Civil War, but you know, this movie, it felt like it wouldn't have had as much of an impact if it came out before Endgame, personally. I I thought that this was like, I, I see it as a nice eulogy for Black Widow, if you know what I mean. Like, it's it kind of reminds you why her death, like it kind of, you know, it's kind of, it just kind of left a hole within um, the team. Um, I think everyone can agree with that. Um, yeah, it was just a nice, like it was a very intimate family drama, which I was really impressed by. Um, there are times where I actually did feel like I was watching an indie drama, and that's not surprising since Kate Shorthand apparently does have an experience with that sort of thing. Yep. Um, before oh, the movie, I'm sorry, Kate Shortland. Yeah. Um, before this, she directed um, the movies like Lore and uh, Berlin Syndrome. Um, and there was one. There's one others that um, that she directed. Uh, Somersault. That's the one. Um, but yeah, I think I think we're all kind of in agreement that that this movie is far far better than uh like this this movie is much better than i think anyone was even expecting 
I know, I know there are some people who are more mixed on it than the others, but personally, I, I was, uh, I, I, I was into this from start, from start to finish. I don't know where I would rank it in like, um, in like the whole, like in the grand scheme of the MCU, I vaguely put it in like the top third. If that, mm. like, I honestly agree. I was I was thinking the same, and I didn't expect that at all. Yeah, I go so far as to say it's probably the best um, standalone MCU movie since Black Panther. Yeah. Um, I think it's better than Captain Marvel, Iron Man the Wasp, and Spider-Man Far From Home, if you want to know what I mean by that. Yeah, I I, I think I can agree with that. I also, I also think that this movie probably works better on a rewatch. As, as we're recording this, I've seen the movie twice, both times in Dolby, and both times, um, bo- both times I had like a really great time watching. Obviously the Thursday screening was a little bit more um, packed because like that was like all of the Marvel, like the Marvel fanboys and fangirls crowding the theaters because this is the first time we've been together in two years. Yeah. yeah Marvel movie. That's like comic book fan Mecca. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually saw this movie twice too. I saw it in the theater on Thursday and immediately the morning after I watched it on Disney plus I paid just because I just love that surreal factor of seeing a movie like in the theater and then immediately the next day in the comforts of my home. That's just that surreal factor that could never exist like two years ago. And I felt the same thing when I watched Wonder Woman 84 and Godzilla versus Kong. You know, I just want to be aware of how, different things are compared to where they were before the pandemic yeah it, it is it is surreal we we can we can talk a little bit more about the future of theatrical dis- distribution later but for now um so we all know that scarlett johansson is like the de facto main protagonist of this film but i honestly think um florence Pugh's uh yelena boliva is Honest to God, the like the co-lead of the film. Wouldn't wouldn't you both agree? Yeah. I think I just... this is definitely a vehicle for her character going forward. It's a passing the torch movie. Yeah. It it I definitely think, is. I'm I'm assuming that's gonna be the same like with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, like now we know that and also um Thor Love and Thunder. Yeah, I mean, we know we know that um, Sam is getting his own his own movie with Captain America four, and I don't know I don't know what um, Love and Thunder is, is like. I I don't know what will come after Love and Thunder. We we just know that that Jane Foster is like is like the is the focus. Yeah, yeah, and I think She Hulk probably as well the Disney Plus series. So, something something really cool that I've noticed about Phase Four so far is how they're really sort of um, leaning into themes of of legacy, and I guess that even that even kind of started with um, with Ant Man towards the end of Phase Two, but just but just seeing like that theme coming up in in live action comic book movies 
is I don't know. It's it, it's it's just kind of special. Something something that like even ten years ago, I never I never thought we'd actually get there. You know? Yeah, like that's something that you'd expect to happen like ten more years from now. Like they would finally do a passing the torch sort of thing. Like long, like when these actors have long passed their prime, for instance. Oh yeah. And. They haven't really passed their prime exactly. Um, it's just that these actors, they just want to do other projects. Which is totally understandable. Yeah, I mean, they don't no- want to be typecasted. Yeah, nobody wants to be um, stuck doing the same thing forever. The Legends Hall, Robert Downey Jr. finds a better movie soon than uh, Doolittle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think you can only go up from there. Yeah. He really um, wanted to do Doolittle too. <laughs> he yeah, really I, I, wanted to do that. I, I I feel so bad that that movie ended up how it did, but I I don't know. The the more the more I think about it, the the more depressed I get. Mm. Um, but back to Black Widow. Other aside from Florence Pugh, who are some of the other um, cast members that? Um, that stood out to you, Ray Winstone. Mm. Didn't didn't expect that so fast. Yeah, I mean Ray Winstone. He was an absolute bastard in this. I I, I will say, um, he's if he, if he's if he's not the most like interesting uh, Marvel villain, he's certainly the most hateable because yeah. of, because of what he's done. Mm-hmm. Hayden, what about you? Well, I'm always a fan of David Harbour. So, yeah, I thought he was really great, too. Very likable and yeah. funny and all the things you want from David Harbour. Mm. Yep. Um, I, th- I think both Harbour and uh, Rachel Weisz as, um, as Melina, they, they, they make a great um, um, the, the Americans style parents. Oh yes. Yeah. Speaking speaking of which, um, can we talk about how how great the uh, like the opening sequence was? Yeah. Yes, that was so good. Chills. Mm-hmm. And I will say that even in my in because I saw the end credits like in blurry three D because everybody was like had no idea what was going on. Um, even that. Um, I was like getting chills just like looking at it. Mm. Even even with all that was going on, I was still like completely like in awe of that scene. Uh, um, Ever Anderson, um, the actress who played Young Natasha, holy shit, was she good? Right. Yeah. And I do believe that's um, uh, Mila Djokovic's um, daughter. Interesting. Uh, she she's uh, also Paul W.S.'s uh, daughter, which I yep. mentioned. Yep. Uh, that makes sense. Actually, the opening, even like the first five minutes when they show, um, you know, like Natasha and Yelena, they, they're like walking upside down, just on their hands and feet. And something like that, it kind of felt like I was watching an indie drama the way it was shot. Yeah, I could I could see that. Yeah, it was one where like the Marvel stuff kind of sneaks up on you. 
And they're like, oh, we're watching a Marvel movie. Of course. Yeah, I forgot. Oh, um, I just uh, remembered. I just uh, saw this. Uh, Ever Anderson, uh, who played a young Black Widow, is going to be playing Wendy Darling in David Lowry's upcoming Peter Pan and Wendy. Oh, sweet. Oh, that's, that's right. I, I, I saw that earlier and, like, and just kind of completely forgot about it. And speaking of Disney synergy, um, did anyone else notice that? Yes, that they the were Duck watching Ducktales. I what I what I did notice that um that took me out for a little bit was uh, when they when uh, at the beginning they were showing uh they were uh, holding uh, My Little Pony and it was the completely wrong generation <laughs> for 1995. <laughs> What, what what generation was it? They were showing uh, that that was Generation Four. That was definitely Twilight Sparkle. <laughs> Friendship is magic. Yeah, they were showing Friendship is magic. They were they the the little doll that um I that a uh, young uh, Elena had. Oh, interesting. Is, uh, definitely Twilight Sparkle. Which um we'll, we'll just like assume that that was a reference to uh, Miss Minutes. We'll mm. we'll just. Sure. Um, let's just go with that. But wow. wow. Also, I want to bring up that in a row, we had two prominent songs that were spoofed by Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> what, what, what was the second one? Because I know I know um, the credits were uh, to the... Smells like Teen uh, Spirit. Um, American Pie, uh, which uh, was... Oh, the, oh was, right. Uh, the right. amazing... The American Saga Pie, Begins. Weird Al? Yeah, he did uh, The Saga Begins, which is like uh, retelling the story of uh, Phantom Menace. Interesting. You'll 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 know it once you once which, you listen to it. Which I knew before the actual song. Same. <laughs> so I I love that song, American Pie. By the way, yeah, it's a it's a great song, and it's it's just a great a great moment that um that Alexi and Yelena share late later on. Yeah, that's almost as good as his other song, um, Vincent. Oh. And then it goes starry, starry nights, flaming flowers that brightly blaze. You know that one? Yeah, it's it's not it's not as well known as American Pie, but it's still it's still a good one. Mm-hmm. I just love his voice, man. Um, any anything else? Anything else from the from the opening that we, that we have to talk about? Because I this might be one this might be one of the strongest um first acts in any of the any of the at least I'll, I'll at least say like like the past phase of uh, of marvel films I, I gotta say what like apparently david harbour was hanging on to that um plane like wing as they're flying from ohio to cuba and he held on to that the entire way that that that's impressive well well yeah. to be fair to be fair he is technically a super soldier Oh, that's true. Yeah. So, he, I'm sure he has the endurance to, uh, you know, to hang on for as long as he can. Also, apparently, he based his um performance on a combination of Ricky Gervais in The Office and Philip Seymour Hoffman in The Savages. Yeah, that che- that checks mm-hmm. out. Yeah. All right, moving on. Um. Let's see what. Where 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 even to go next? Um, all right, yeah, I guess we'll talk about it now. Taskmaster. 
Yeah, that's one of the more um, divisive um, decisions they made in this movie. I'm putting it here right now. I thought it worked. Boom. Me too. I don't. I don't care what people say. It worked. It told the story that the movie was going for. I'm sure that Kiona might have a, a somewhat different opinion. <laughs> I'll I'll play I'll play devil's advocate because I think on the one hand, um, like narr- like narratively and thematically, yes, it's like they made the absolute right decision to use Taskmaster in this fashion. However, I think what what they also could have done. Um, the like the only the only way they could have done Taskmaster, you know, as his like comic book accurate self, is if let so in in, in this in this hypothetical, um, there would be no reference to the Red Room or any of that stuff. This would be like. I don't know. Um, Thunderbolt Ross hires uh, the Taskmaster to, you know, to bring to bring in Natasha because yada yada Sokovia, Sokovia Accords. Yada, Actually, yada. I I disagree with that because that just be the Incredible Hulk again when he used the Abomination. Didn't like no, he used um he was a super soldier on um um Tim Roth to get um Bruce Banner so I think that would just be a repeat of that. Yeah, that's that's fair and that's why that's why ultimately I think they made the right, they made the right move um with, and, with this and, story. And who's to say they're not going to have like a more like accurate taskmaster in a future film in the series. I, Exactly. They can always do that. They're they're doing a Mandarin again for Shang Chi, so you know they can they can do it. Plus, I believe I believe um, this like this Taskmaster and the one from the comics don't even have the same last name, so you could you could technically say like um, like you could technically say like these are completely different characters, but still using the same uh like the same um alias mm. but that's but that's that's like that's par for the course with with marvel there's there there's always another way yeah it's like a compromise where okay we'll do like this version of the character that makes sense in the story but we also want to get some fan service later now speaking speaking of the red room um what what, what did you think of of like the way, what 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 what'd you guys think of like all of the act the action scenes um, throughout this? I mean, I think I have seen better in Marvel movies before, but I thought it did the job. Okay, I they weren't like the highlight for me, but they were perfectly serviceable. Yeah, exactly. Um. Yeah, I think actually that might be um a strength for a Marvel movie where the action scenes aren't the parts that you remember the most. I mean, that's 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 kind of how it should be um to some extent because so far I still think the like some of the best uh, action scenes come from 
Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Um, because because each each action scene was basically like just a punctuation a punctuation mark for you know whatever that scene was, and they yeah. to some like they tried to do that with with this movie. Um, and some of the hand-to-hand combat was actually really good, um, mm-hmm. but not all of it. And I think I, I think they all they all kind of understand that um, the heart of this movie is the family dynamic, um, like the relationship that Natasha has with this uh, fake family. And how like they kind of um, discover um, that they can function as a family. Yep. Yeah, they talk about um, it. Did get into some um, tragic territory there, like when it turns out that they took Christmas and Thanksgiving um, and birthday um, photos on the same day on the same sets to basically like help with the illusion that they were a family. Yeah, because because weren't weren't they only together for like three years yeah so on a so on a single day they they basically um shot an entire album's worth of of photos yeah. as you do perfectly normal what about um the humor in this movie how about that the humor was at least 25 percent of the reason why this movie works as well as it does and yeah. most of that humor comes from from david harbour and florence Pugh just being absolute balls of charisma. Yeah. David Hart, like he was um a better character with a dad bod than a fat Thor. <laughs> they're both very different in my opinion. They're, they're both it's comparing different it's apples and oranges. One is like a deeply like sad look at like depression and That's... all that. That's and, true. and the this is just uh, someone who happens to have a dad bod, and it's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at, le- at least um, at least Alexi has more uh, um, body positivity. Yeah, nice. yeah. I mean, yeah, his um, fatness isn't like this huge reveal or anything like it was in Endgame. Although they do kind of make jokes at his expense, like he's when he's trying to fit into like the um, you know, the um, the Red Guardian suit. And, but, and uh, apparently, apparently that like that wasn't acting. That was like that was him actually getting the suit on. Yeah. Also, uh, Rachel Vice was into it, so <laughs> you know, something for everybody. Oh, speaking speaking of. Uh, the Winter Soldier. Uh, there's there there's a great callback with um with the like the reveal of the plan um, that Melina and and Natasha have. Um, do you do do you remember do you remember um like the face masks that uh? That oh is- yeah 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 face they masks. they bring they bring that back for for this movie and I'll be honest it. It it kind of threw me for a loop. I like I I was fifty percent not expecting that. Yeah, it's because they didn't overdo it um, between those two movies. Yeah, like people kind of people kind of forget that like the Winter Soldier was 
uh, like seven years ago. And, and that was like, that was the last time that we saw her um, use that technology. So, So one of my thoughts is I think people are taking the wrong villain, so to speak, because I mean, Yes, Ray Winstone's character is obviously a horrible human being, but I think the true antagonist of the film is ultimately Natasha's past. Mm-hmm. Yes. And her coming to terms with that. And that's something that I noticed. That's a lot of people, I think, are missing the forest for the trees. I think I can agree with that because Dra- like Drakoff is, is really just... He, he's the the external threat um, and the face of the Red Room, but what he's actually representing is um, is Natasha's ledger, which and, which, as Alexi says, is dripping with so much red. Yeah, and I think my point is, I think a lot of people when they're saying, "Oh, his this villain was so boring." I feel like a lot of them are kind of missing the bigger picture here. Mm-hmm. And I just I, wanted I, to get that out. Um, no, I can, I can agree with that. And um, it, it, it's kind of like in the same way, like Jeff Bridges in Iron Man, he, like he wasn't a strong villain, but like he did kind of um, serve like a purpose. He was basically Tony's dark side. I mean, I don't, I don't particularly love Iron Man the way that most people do, but I can, I can at least concede to, uh, to that as like, you know, Jeff Bridges's role in in that movie. At least he did like have Jeff Bridges also had his fair share of memorable scenes. I thought, In- including that that one meme. Yeah, you know the be- the best the best thing about the internet is that everyone has an opinion. The worst thing about the internet is that is everyone, that everyone has, has an opinion, which kind of leads into the debacle that happens happens every time a movie like this hits di- hits digital. Of course, Twitter gonna Twitter, and one one of one of the uh, what like one of the clips that they that they showed out of context, as you do. Is like the fi- like that final moment in uh, in like the big climax where Yelena's like, "This is fun," and then she blows up the blows up the tower. Yeah. Um. And and people are people are like complaining that oh the CGI looks so bad. They spent two hundred million dollars and it all looks whatever. I I, I don't. Honestly, I'm at a point where bad CGI is kind of hard for no- for me to notice. I well, I just don't care. Two reasons: one, you cannot judge a movie based on a 10 second clip um, in like 240p on um, on your phone on Twitter. Yeah, um, and B, that scene does look that. That scene just looks better um, in like on a big screen, and in the context of the third act, it didn't look any better or worse than than any other um, third act in these Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. Anything, anything to add, Hayden? 
Yeah, I genuinely am not really, I re- honestly really don't care about the CGI at this point. I I care about the characters and the general story. The effects are kind of not really why I'd go to see these. They're nice when they're, it's nice when they're amazing, sure, but it's kind of just secondary to me, so... Yeah, I I really like could not like care less. For well, for for a movie as small scale as this one, if 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 they were great, then they wouldn't be noticeable. And if they're not noticeable, right. then people don't have anything to complain about. Yeah, that's um, what kind of sucks about being an effects artist. Yeah, you, you don't. They don't. So they don't know. The only know your effects that they're done shittily. Yeah, I, I I feel awful for um for people in in VFX who still aren't unionized and aren't yeah. really getting the best uh treatment on top on top of on top of the internet being the internet. Um like you 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 have to love what you do um in order to endure that much abuse. Yeah, um, I do actually have like one minor nitpick. It's not really an effects thing. This is just something very, very, it's very inconsequential. I noticed that the end credits were literally just like what they've been doing with Disney Plus uh, Marvel shows. And that did take me out of the experience a little. I'm not going to lie because like, I like and I do like see like how they completely like just they did they did the thing where they make like the big bold credits like the beginning of the movie but like just like seeing like the same exact font like same exact formatting felt a little off to me I think I think that's that's not exclusive to uh the Disney Plus shows that's kind of like their it's kind of like their house style for all their credits yeah but but this is this is like no this is like like it's different no it is definitely different from like the past marvel movies because like it didn't really scroll it just kind of popped up and like it was formatted different like the disney plus shows specifically were oh like like it like it was formatted like um like tv credits it yeah it looked a lot like the tv credits and it kind of distracted me a little bit all right, I, I I can kind of understand that. It uh, it's and it doesn't matter in the long run at all. It just oh, kind of, of course not. <laughs> yeah, I was just I, it was just something that I was like, huh. Don't quite know how I feel about this, but it's not really like a main factor. It's just something <laughs> I noticed. You know, it could be worse. It could be the credits um, from the fifth Transformers movie. Um, I. I forget. I even forget the name of it. Um, last but, night. Oh yeah, Transformers. Last night. If I remember correctly, those trailers were like probably either thirty seconds or a minute at most, and it and it did feel like oh like, my god, like TV credits. That's a, that's probably the worst example that I've seen. And for for a movie like a Transformers movie, which would probably cost about two hundred fifty million somewhere around there 
Um, for those big movies to have such short credits almost kind of feels insulting to everyone who worked on it. Oh, it, it definitely is. Like, I know pe- people like to complain about the credits of, of Marvel movies, how they're, how they're like 10 plus minutes long. But look at the names and like, look at all of the, like, the people who worked on this movie. And yeah, of, of course they're going to get credited. If anything, long credits should make you appreciate the post credit scene even more. Exactly. Which we should probably talk about because... Um, so, fun fact for those who don't know, um, mo- most people have, you know, we've met um, Ju- Julie Louisa Dreyfus's character uh, Miss Valentina, we met her for the first time in The Falcon and Winter Soldier, but her actual first appearance was supposed to be uh, this post credit scene. The, this, the scene in question does, it, 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 it does raise a few questions, like what is she doing talking with Yelena? Um, have, have either the Dark, Dark Avengers or Thunderbolts already kind of formed and and then just when when does this scene take place um, in comparison to Falcon in the Winter Soldier? I'm just gonna say one thing. I actually like it more here after having watched Falcon in the Winter Soldier. I I agree, and I wonder if her appearance in Falcon and Winter Soldier was reshot because um, because the uh, like the the release schedule has shifted. I I wondered the same thing. I mean I mean granted a lot of um that show was reshot because of covid. So that that could have just been one one of the many reshoots. Yeah. What I liked about it was with Falcon and the Winter Soldier you really didn't know where you stood with her. Um like you don't know where what her real like allegiance is. And this, I think, made the post credit scene like feel like even more of a gut punch. Mm-hmm. And I think it actually worked a lot better for the story and what they were trying to do. It kind so, of shows you like, yep, you know, the TV shows are converging with the movies. Yep. Yeah. They can actually work their way into like these bigger formats. And and since we and since we've known for a while that um, that Florence Pugh is going to be in in uh, Hawkeye, uh, this this uh, post credit scene was a pretty perfect uh, transition. Yeah. Uh, now here's a question: Des- despite despite what what her mission seems to be. Do you do you think she'll actually be a villain in that series, or will she just will she just like have um, a one episode cameo, kind of like Don Cheadle at the start of uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier? I'm assuming like the fact that she has her own post credit scene setting up that kind of implies that she'll be a villain, which. Honestly, that just sounds so cliche. I'm not really looking forward to that. 
Well, I don't think it's going to be just one episode cameo because that would make it feel kind of cheap. And I don't necessarily think that they would go like full full villain with her either. Necessarily, I could be wrong, but she will at least be an obstacle. I kind of I kind of think that um that her her relationship with Clint will be kind of similar to uh, um, his relationship with uh, Scarlet Witch in Age of Ultron, where like she was she was a little bit more antagonistic, but then Clint kind of gave her the ba- ba- basically gave her like the motivational speech, and that set set her on the right path. It would be at least something along those lines. I think I don't yeah. think I. Honestly, don't think they would go full villain because, yeah, I mean, at the point where she like she's like the final battle, for instance. But I'm I will say that I wouldn't complain if she killed Hawkeye either because I don't really care about Hawkeye. But that's another story altogether. Mm, I I like Hawkeye. I just don't love Jeremy Renner because reasons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm just uh, for uh, Haley Seinfeld. So same. So I I think everybody's kind of just wanting to watch the series for reasons besides Jeremy Renner. So it, you it's, know, it's it's kind of like this movie too. How like everyone everyone was here for every everyone went to this movie for every actor except for Scarlett Johansson. Mm-hmm. Who honestly like isn't bad, but it's just like kind of gotten to a point where she did really... she call just she just called Joss Whedon a brilliant screenwriter? Uh, yeah, and it was and the reactions from Florence Pugh and Kevin Feige were great. Well, you know, to play devil's advocate, um, well, she's not wrong. Like she was just saying that Joss Whedon's a good screenwriter, which I don't think many people would disagree with. Like it was just the fact that like she should have read the room and like that's, that's maybe, the thing. Maybe don't like praise the person when like they're there's like a bunch of stuff on them right now. It's I, I know I'm, it's I'm not saying that good. I'm not saying that Joss Whedon's a good person because fuck right. no he's not. Y- you guys do know where I'm coming from, yeah? Yeah, yeah. No, just, I, um, I, I, I understand. Don't, I don't think anybody's dis- necessarily disagreeing with what she's saying. It's just like. She really should not have said it, especially yeah, not the way she did. Uh, now's not the time to. I mean, yeah, like Roman Polanski's a good director, but no one should be praising him anymore. I yeah, like he's directed some of my favorite movies, but I'm not going to just like say like randomly in a conversation. Yeah, Roman Polanski's one of the best directors of all time. I'm because that's yeah. I'm not going to say that in the middle of. In interview right. randomly when it's like not really prompted. For those who don't know, uh, at the time at the time of this recording, Black Widow made 80, 80 million uh, domestic, which uh, beat the record for biggest opening weekend um, since twenty, yeah, since since twenty nineteen, or since um like post the post pandemic era, um. And it made uh, sixty million um, through Premier Access on Disney Plus. And to be clear, this is sixty million worldwide, which equates to about two million subscribers who purchased 
the Premier Access, which is honestly a f- like a small fraction of the total um, Disney Plus membership, but still two mi- two million um, two mil- two million households um, forking over thirty bucks to watch this at home. That's that's um not an insignificant number and, and any thoughts on this uh on this milestone the big question is like how is this going to um what precedent is this going to set for disney because so far jungle cruise is going to be their last one um that they'll be releasing on premiere access and after that they announced that a uh, free guy that um ryan reynolds um action comedy and shang chi the next marvel movie they're going to be released in theaters exclusively and there's going to be a 45 day window. So I think it may be too late for them to make those kind of changes to those two movies, but something tells me that um, they might start doing this in the future because um, with Disney plus um, premier access is that unlike at the box office, they have a hundred percent of the proceeds. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's crazy to think about. Um, maybe COVID was just the perfect excuse for them. Maybe they were trying to find an excuse to do that on Disney Plus when they launched it back in November 2019. And I don't know, maybe COVID was just the perfect excuse. There, I, I forget where I read this, but um, Hayden, I think I think you might remember this too. A couple, a couple years ago um, at one of the CinemaCons, all, all like the different studios were kind of... Um, like they were discussing this idea for like um, some, some sort of at home service where you can pay, where you can pay like 50 bucks to, to rent a, like a new release that's in theaters and you can watch it at home. I think um, I do remember this. I, I, I can't remember what they called it, but that like, that's, that's what I think about whenever, um, whenever, I think about Disney's uh, premier access or even, or even like the premium on de- video on demand movies that were starting to come out, like at the start of the pandemic. Yeah, Who would have thought Trolls World Tour will be the movie to change cinema? <laughs> I know. Right. So what do you think, Mike? What do you think the future holds? Then? What do you think this foretells and like Disney's, um, future release schedule. See, this is tough because even even before Black Widow was was announced to be like um, a day and date release, I remember like at least at least like as close as like two months before, like two months before its release, um, Bob Chapek was like, "Nope, this movie's going to theaters." Mm. Um, and then at kind of the last minute, he's like, "Hey, guess what? This is." theaters and uh disney plus so he said why not both (laughs) so my did that uh they did that previously with ryan the last dragon we gotta remember and corella uh my my point is i don't think it's too late for for disney to at the last minute decide oh yeah by the way i think we're gonna do shang chi day and date again um Especially because it depend it depends on on where 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 we are in terms of uh, in terms of COVID uh, 
how the, like how how the numbers are either rising, falling, um, all of that. But the thing is, like, are they going to keep doing this after the 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 vi- the virus is stamped out? I think only time will tell. Yeah, okay. like this I, this is this is only the first weekend of uh, of um, Black Widow's release. Um, we, we probably won't get a definitive answer until let's say like two weeks later, um, when Black Widow's in its third weekend, um, and they can really take a look at how, how the movie has performed both digitally and, um, at the box office. But as, but as far as like the 45 day window, which I think, Paramount was the first to introduce. Yeah, they were. Um, I th- I think forty five days is going to be the new standard. Before that, it was before that it was ninety days, and then before Paramount kind of committed to the forty five day window. You Uni- we talked about this uh, last week. Universal, um, if a if a movie makes like I think what would you say less than less than fifty million. Um, yeah. within, within three weeks, then it would be, it would be available on premium on demand. Yeah. Um, for like one of the first weekend. Okay. Then. So F9, that's going to stick around in theaters for a while. Oh, of course. But, um, like you, you, universal aside, I think 45 days is going to become the new, the new standard theatrical window. I can imagine that. Some movies be an exception for that, like Avatar Two. Oh yeah, um, like there, there, there may, there may be like exceptions based on, um, like production budget, you know, specific deals between between uh, studios or filmmakers. All any any of those sort of variables, I can I can see. Um, they don't want another Christopher Nolan situation. <laughs> no. Oh, oh no, of course not. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I've I've come to the realization that making like predictions of uh, how like the release um, schedule is going to be for studios, like how they're going to release movies, I realized that making predictions for that is just and completely pointless. <laughs> because who the hell would have predicted that HBO Max um, would be you'd be able to watch Warner Bros. entire 2021 slate on that. <laughs> On, on, on the other hand, that's what kind of makes um, predictions like this fun, because we 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 know deep down that that nobody knows anything, but yeah. it's kind it's kind of fun to to just like to just speculate wildly. But I think I think I think we're starting to to wind this episode down. Um, any any final thoughts on Black Widow? Uh, Black Widow, it's a worthy entry in the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe. Uh, welcome return for Scarlett Johansson and a good introduction to Florence Pugh. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a good time. It's a good um, intimate drama. It's It's got a lot of heart to it. Um, it's a good way to introduce Marvel reintroduce marvel and the way in our changed time so yeah definitely go see it like you would any marvel movie we missed you marvel the movies the movies <laughs> the movies um yeah no i i 
I think I had a great time overall with with Black Widow. Um, ne- never never mind the fact that this was just the first time we've seen that that big shiny red logo in two years. Um, like wh- whether whether I watch this um, in theaters or at home on Disney Plus, um, I think it's still just a great uh, a great blend of of superhero espionage action meets um, an intimate family drama with um, some some of the most surprising uh, com- like comedic beats and for a Marvel movie some of the some of the darkest uh, moments like what like one thing one thing we haven't brought up yet was um, uh, Natasha confront confronting um, Drakoff and her like let like her just like letting him beat the shit out of her for yeah for, I liked like, how it was a mental um, fight rather than a physical one that you're used to it was which a culminates in her literally breaking her nose mm-hmm. it was a battle of wits in the end which I thought was really cool and I think ultimately this this movie will hold up better on on multiple viewings as I'm sure some of us have already uh, attested to. Um, so next week we've got escape room Two: tournament of champions. Um, and then on the weekend of the 23rd, we've got snake eyes and uh, July 30th. And, and, uh, that, and we also have old that weekend. So, Oh, wow. July is packed. So yeah. On the 23rd is Snake Eyes and Old. On the 30th is Jungle Cruise and my most anticipated movie, The Green Knight. One year hence. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's what our July slate looks like and I couldn't be more excited. Um, but before we head out of here, uh, Hayden, where can everyone find you online? You can find me on Twitter at the Hayden Wilder and on Instagram at Hayden Wilder. And Jacob? You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Jacob Crable, K-R-E-H-B-I-E-L. I have my own Letterboxd account too, Streaming Demon, and I'm a part of the Renegade Pop Culture Facebook group. And you guys can find me on Twitter at CaptainK42. You can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash CoachK42. You can find me in all the various Facebook groups just at my name. You can check out Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at Ren Pop Culture. You can also look for us on Podchaser. And coming soon, we have a Patreon account. Um, details to be determined. You can listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. And last but not least, everything can be found at renegadepopculture.com. Need an escape? So do we. I'll do it for this episode of Renegade Marquee. Thank you guys for joining, and we will catch you guys later. Peace out. Good night.